there is a lot going on in our church. There's a lot going on. We have remodel project taking place, and we are really, really close. If you all would like something to pray about specifically this week, we are supposed to have the cloth for the pews shipping from Florida to the warehouse where they will put it on the pews this week. So you can pray for that. That's supposed to happen this week. But there's a lot going on there. We uh, just had a presentation by Thomas and Dick on the video screen about security changes that are taking place. There's a lot going on. We've got a number of families in the church with various ailments, sicknesses, events taking place. There's a lot going on. And as we dive into life together as a church, part of our calling is a call to flexibility. Why flexibility? Because we are meant to live together, and we must be flexible so that we can flex with each other. We're going to see today in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, the Apostle Paul's version of flexibility. He was incredibly flexible as he ministered. Why? Because the central point is not us. The central point is not my desires. The central point is not my passions. The central point is the gospel. And what we're going to see in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 is that the Apostle Paul was willing to give it all up for one thing. The truth that Jesus Christ came to earth, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, paying the penalty for our sins, and rose again three days later. That message, the centrality of that message, led Paul to be completely and utterly flexible in all that he did. And that's going to be our challenge today, is to live life in such a way that we are flexible for the sake of the gospel. Our memory verse for the week, for the month, is 1 Corinthians 10.6. So I'd like you to read with me 1 Corinthians 10.6. Let's do it together. 1 Corinthians 10.6. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. 1 Corinthians 10.6. We will get to 1 Corinthians 10 later. But the point here is that we have the Bible. And it's written down as an example to us. That we might understand the mistakes that were made in the past. So that we can learn from them. And we can strive for Christ-likeness. We've been in the book of 1 Corinthians now for quite a while. And um, we won't finish the book of Corinthians this year because we'll move on to other things. But that's okay. We'll come back to it eventually. The message, though, that Paul has in the book of 1 Corinthians is a message that speaks against factionalism, that speaks against selfishness, that speaks against people who would go out and try to form their own factions to accomplish their own goals, laying aside the gospel in order that they could do things their way. And Paul writes to that, no. There is no place for that in the church. Instead, the place is for flexibility, a focus on the gospel. So we're going to start off with 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and we're going to start by reading verses 1 through 11. So read along with me as I read 1 Corinthians 9, starting in verse 1. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? 
even though I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who sit in judgment on me. Don't we have the right to food and drink? Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us, as do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Cephas? Or is it only I and Barnabas who lack the right to not work for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink the milk? Do I say this merely on human authority? Doesn't the law say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. Is it about oxen that God is concerned? Surely he says this for, for us, doesn't he? Yes, this was written for us because whoever plows and threshes should be able to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. If we have sh- sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? So the Apostle Paul writes, coming down really hard on the Corinthian church, but his point that he's going to make is that those who are called to serve God may live life, but that right is subordinate to the gospel. Those who are called to serve God may live life. You are allowed to live life if you have the call to serve God, and you all do, because if you've accepted Jesus as your savior, you are slaves to Christ. Those who are called to serve God may live life. You have that ability, but that right is subordinate to the gospel. Paul hasn't gotten there just yet, the subordinate part, but he will. Paul begins by outlining his personal credentials. But his point is not how great he is. His point is that his credentials are secondary to the gospel. He uses a series of four rhetorical questions to emphasize this. He starts off with this statement, am I not free? The answer for Paul, Paul was a Roman citizen. Am I not free? The answer is yes. But freedom for Paul is ultimately freedom to serve Christ. If you were to ask Paul, what does it mean to be free? He would tell you it means the ability to serve Christ. I challenge you today to adopt that definition of freedom. What does it mean when we say we are free? That we have the ability to serve Christ. That's true freedom. He says, am I not an apostle? Paul, the apostle Paul, is he not one that is sent, commissioned by Jesus Christ himself? The answer is yes. Yet even the commissioning of Christ does not give him authority to go above and beyond the gospel. Paul's very calling is to the gospel. He says, have I not seen Jesus? Yes, Paul had seen Jesus. Paul had confronted Jesus on the Damascus road while Jesus had confronted Paul. Paul had been taught by Jesus, I think in the deserts of Arabia. Paul had seen Jesus face to face. Did that mean that Paul outranked the gospel? No. If anybody had bragging rights, it was the apostle Paul. A Roman citizen, freedom, sent, commissioned by Jesus, having seen Jesus himself, The Corinthian church was evidence of Paul's bragging rights. They had come to know Jesus through Paul. Paul has set up his credentials. 
but then he's going to emphasize they are secondary to the gospel. You may have heard of the phrase six degrees. Uh, came out from a short story written back in 1929 of a, a group of people that have a game. Can you, and they actually did it with five degrees in the short story. Can you get to anybody else in the world through a maximum of five handshakes? Uh, more modern as, as the world advanced, uh, it became six handshakes. And it is a mathematical thing that people experiment with. Can you get to, like, the present? If you shake somebody's hand, can you get to the present within five handshakes? And the answer is for almost everybody, yes, you can. Uh, we live in a connected world. Paul didn't need five handshakes to get to Jesus. He had met Jesus personally, face to face. But his credentials didn't matter when it came to the gospel. Because those called to serve, credentials are secondary to the gospel. Paul goes on in verses 3 to 6, and he emphasizes that, in fact, it's not just that your credentials are secondary to the gospel, but your right to live a full life is secondary to the gospel. Quality of life is secondary to the gospel. Let me restate that again, because this one's hard. Quality of life is secondary to the gospel. The right to food, drink, family, all of those things should come second to the gospel. Even your financial well-being. And that's where Paul goes in verses 7 through 11. For those called to serve, even their financial well-being is secondary to the gospel. Paul says, do I not have the right to be compensated for my work? Most of us would say that seems like a pretty fundamental basic right to be compensated for my work. In fact, the Bible argues that that's a, a fundamental basic right, such, so much so that even oxen have that right. There was a law in Deuteronomy, uh, Deuteronomy 25. The law was that if you had an oxen treading out grain, so you've got like a mill, and you, you put the grain out, and you have the oxen walking across the grain, you weren't allowed to put a muzzle on the ox's mouth to keep it from eating some of what it was trampling down. That was not allowed. You're asking the animal to work. Give it the ability to eat the food. The Apostle Paul says even that basic, not even a basic human right, a basic right of life that God laid out, he was willing to give up for the gospel. In the book of Acts, we learn that the Apostle Paul when he got to Corinth, because of sort of the situation that he was in, he chose to go work with his hands and make tents, probably working with leather. So if we think of a tent, you know, we think of like nice vinyl, right? Something like that. This was, Paul's work was not exactly nice, clean work. You, you don't work with leather, leather and come home with your hands clean. Like, it's kind of gross work. And that's what the Apostle Paul did so that he could support his ministry. He gave up the right to work. He gave up the right to work in order that he might reach some with the gospel. So here's my challenge, action step, my question for you. I want you to ask yourself, 
Am I holding my right to live as subordinate to the gospel? Remember, I said that we were going to talk about flexibility. What the Apostle Paul starts off with right away with the Corinthians, you know, he, he pulls no punches. He says, look at my life. I'm willing to do whatever it takes. If I have to give up food, if I have to give up wages, if I have to give up even time with family, the ability to take a wife with me, I'll do it for the sake of the gospel. Paul continues in verses 12 through 18. Let's look at those. If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? But we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Don't you know that those who serve in the temple get their food from the temple and that those who serve at the altar share in what is offered on the altar? In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. But I have not used any of these rights. And I am not writing this in the hope that you will do such things for me. For I would rather die than allow anyone to deprive me of this boast. For when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, since I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I am simply discharging the trust committed to me. What then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge, and so not make full use of my rights as a preacher of the gospel. I started off with the statement that those who serve God are allowed to live life, but that right is subordinate to the gospel. You are allowed to have an income. You are allowed to have a house. You're allowed to enjoy the things of life as long as it's subordinate to the gospel. The second thing that Paul emphasizes or the way he follows this up is with this. Those who are called to serve must be willing to give up their rights. Those who are called to serve, and that's all of us, must be willing to give up their rights. That's what the gospel calls on us to do, to give it up for Christ. Paul started in, right? Continued in. The servant of God must be willing to give up their right to be supported. I am incredibly thankful for a church that supports its staff. That is a wonderful thing, and I appreciate that and cannot thank you enough for that. But one of the things that we have to realize is that the servant of God has to be willing to give up that right because the gospel is what matters most. It was standard practice all the way starting in the Old Testament for the temple to support the priestly line. It was standard practice for the temple to support the priestly line. In Mark 6, when Jesus sent out the disciples, he told them, don't take anything with you. Stay with the people that you're around. Let them support you. God's plan for a church, God's plan for a body of believers is that they support those whose vocation is ministry. That is very clearly outlined in scripture. I would go so far as to say that we should think of that as a right. For those who are in vocational ministry, they have the right to be supported by the church. However, for those in vocational ministry, 
or in any ministry, they should also be willing to give up that right for the sake of the gospel. By the way, this is why it's important that we support missionaries. Because when a missionary goes into another place, that place may not be ready to support them. And that missionary may need to give up the right for that local group that they're ministering to to support them. And so we, as a church, can support a missionary so that they can minister without having to go poor. It is an important aspect of ministry, but it also must be secondary to the gospel. Actually, verse 16 is, to me, one of the most telling verses, one of the most important verses in this entire passage. It says, For when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, since I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Have you heard the phrase, somebody is being called into ministry, or called to be a pastor, called to be a missionary? And wondered, what in the world does that mean? That's what it means, verse 16. For somebody who is called to serve, and remember, we're all called to serve, you should be where you can't help but serve. It's what... It's just what you do. You find yourself where you can't imagine doing anything different, where you can't help yourself but make serving your priority. I will tell you for my own life, the point where I realized that I needed to go into ministry was when other things weren't getting done because I always was choosing to do the ministry thing instead. And I realized I can't have another job because I won't do another job or I'll always be behind in my other job because I can't help but serve. But that's actually the model we should all be striving for is where we can't help but serve our Savior. Ultimately, ultimate satisfaction will come from serving the Lord. And that's what Paul says in verses 17 through 18. So what's the reward? If, if the purpose of serving God is simply serving God, and you can't help but serve God, what is the reward? The reward is you get to serve God. That's the reward. And it's a good reward. The servant of God must be willing to give up their rights in order for the gospel to be spread. I don't plan. I plan to retire here. I don't plan to leave. When we do look for another pastor, like an associate pastor, or when I'm very old, (laughs) we need to look for somebody that's already doing the job of a pastor, whether or not they're being paid for it. That's what it means to serve God. I want you to ask yourself, though, personally, Am I willing to serve God even if I'm asked to give up my rights? We live in a country where we talk about rights a lot. We have a bill of rights. Are you willing to serve God even if it means to give up your rights 
because life is subordinate to the gospel. Let's keep reading. Verses 19 through 23. Paul writes, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I'm not free from God's law, but under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Those who are called to serve, and that's all of us, should recognize that the ultimate goal is seeing people follow Christ. You must be willing to give yourself completely. That's what Paul is going for in verse 19. Paul was free. He belonged to no one. But he made himself a slave to everyone. Remember, this letter, 1 Corinthians, would have been read publicly in the church at Corinth. A church where everybody is joining these factions, advertising how great they are, how close they are with their cliques, if you will. And Paul reminds them publicly, because this would have been read publicly, that he was free. When it came to ranking in society, Paul had the high rank. But he personally made himself a slave to everyone. He put himself at the bottom. Why? So that he could win people. So that he could bring people into Christ-likeness. In Philippians 2, verses 6 through 8, Paul writes about Christ-likeness in writing who Christ is. He says, Who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. The God we serve is a God who humbled himself. And Christ's likeness demands that we become all things to all people, that we might win some to Christ. Freedom is not our goal. Privilege is not our goal. Seeing others come to know Jesus, that's the goal. That's the highest aim that we can have in life. In fact, Paul says, those who serve God must be willing to become anything in order that they might win anyone. By the way, just as an aside, we often talk when we say, I'm winning souls we generally mean winning souls to accept Jesus Christ as their personal savior. It's a great thing to do. Absolutely. But when Paul says winning souls, I think he means something much broader. In this passage, in context, he's really talking about 
spiritual edification of people. I think winning souls can include not just bringing people to salvation, a wonderful thing to do, but bringing people to be more like Christ. We win people by bringing them into discipleship, into relationships with Jesus. And that's an important Christ. And Paul's life was filled with examples of this. He was a Jew to the Jews. Paul did not have to follow the strict Jewish law. He wasn't bound by that. But when needed, he did in order to reach some. To the Gentiles, he was a Gentile. When he needed to follow the law, he followed the law. When he didn't have to follow the strict Mosaic law, he didn't. But he didn't act like a completely lawless person. He was willing to do what it took to reach the people that he was reaching. To those who were weak, he met them where they were at. My guess is the Apostle Paul could have blown us away with his vocabulary and his theological knowledge. But he didn't always do it. He was whoever he needed to be that he might reach people for Christ. Pastor David will do just about anything. He's not in here, so he can't defend himself. If you ask him, hey, will you go to blah, blah, blah with me? His answer will almost always be yes. Why? Because you said with me. This is the model that we should be striving for in order to reach some. If somebody says, hey, do you want to go play golf with me? And you say, I'm awful at golf. I hate golf. I can't stand golf. But I'll go with you. That's the picture. Why? I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. Be careful about this verse. By the way, if you start quoting it to yourself, God's going to push you. I'm a little bit of a germaphobe. Jude has been learning how to share. And he likes to stick food in my mouth after he's had a bite. <laughs> and my answer was no until he said, share. <laughs> Thank you, Jude. You're sharing with me. I have become all things to all people so that all possible means I might save some. I do this all for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. That is our aim. The ultimate goal is seeing people follow Christ. Let's read on, verses 24 through 26. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Those who are called to serve should serve with eternity in mind. 
The city of Corinth had a biannual event called the Isthmian Games. It was a miniature version of the Olympics, but it was actually quite large. It was probably the largest non-Olympic sporting event, a city-held sporting event. Happened every two years um, on our calendars. It happened in the year 49 AD and the year 51 AD. And Paul was in the city of Corinth across that period. So Paul would have been in the city of Corinth for the Isthmian Games as he stayed there. He would have experienced this massive citywide athletic event. Not quite on the level of the Olympics, but similar to the Olympics of the time. The games involved running, boxing, wrestling, jumping, throwing a spear, and throwing the discus. The reward for victory in the Isthmian Games was a wreath made out of celery. Earlier it had been made out of pine, but they moved it over to celery by this time. A wreath made out of celery, not even a gold Olympic medal. Now, I don't know how you all feel about celery. I don't, don't see any peanut butter or anything like that. A wreath made out of celery. But people would give their all to win the Isthmian Games for a crown that would perish. Paul uses this as an example. Those who serve God must remember the importance of strict training. We must discipline ourselves, strictly train ourselves to follow Jesus, to make the gospel first. How? By reminding ourselves that the gospel is our priority. If that means that you need to write yourself a note and put it on your bathroom mirror, the gospel's the priority today, do it. Remind yourself and strive for the gospel to be your priority. Why? Because we want the eternal reward. Those who serve God should keep the eternal reward in their sights. There is an eternal reward. God has promised it. Paul says, they do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Now, I don't know what the crown is. It might be a, a literal crown. I know what my grandpa thought it was. He often talked that he thought it was the ability to bring God more glory in eternity. Maybe. There's a sense in which I, I don't really care what it is. Paul says it's going to be there, and I'm looking forward to it. But we strive day in and day out. We train ourselves day in and day out that we might accomplish, that we might partake of that crown. Why? Because we should run as if there's only one winner. It doesn't say there's only one winner, but we should run as if there's only one winner. I enjoy running, and I have had a rough time for the past 10 days, well, now I'm 14 now, not running. About to drive myself crazy sometimes. But I don't like racing. I, I don't run in races. And my answer is really simple. It's because I don't want to train for it because I don't want to disappoint myself. So I just don't. Okay? 
But how many times do we go through life like that? Where we don't run as if there's a race at the end because we just don't want to put in the work. We don't want to discipline ourselves. We know what it would take. And so we just pretend like it doesn't really matter. As I was thinking about strict training, I was thinking about uh, landing. I also haven't been able to fly in two weeks. Uh, Landing the airplane at the Lincoln Airport. So my airplane's got a 27-foot wingspan, so like here to here, stage to stage. And the big runway at the Lincoln Airport is 200 feet wide. I can almost land horizontally on that runway. (laughs) But you know what? Every time I land, I land dead center. Because one day, I might be on a smaller runway. And I can't afford not to discipline myself. Those who serve God should do so with a great deal of discipline. That we might strive for the prize that the gospel brings. I told you at the beginning that my challenge was for us to be flexible, to bond together with the sole idea of the gospel is our priority. Why? Because that's what the Bible calls on us to do. The Apostle Paul gave up his right. He gave up his right to live life. He gave up his right to earn wages because he recognized that the ultimate goal was seeing people follow Jesus. Let me give you an action step. Take a second. Imagine eternity. Imagine the joy of eternal reward. And let that joy motivate you. Let the joy of eternal reward motivate you to self-discipline. To be flexible. To make the gospel the priority. That's our goal. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you for the gospel. The news that Jesus Christ died and rose again, granting us eternal life, granting us freedom from sin. I pray, though, that for those of us who have accepted that message of the gospel, that we would strive to be flexible, that we'd strive to prioritize the gospel, that we would discipline ourselves to make life subordinate to the gospel. Father, I pray that the gospel would be the priority in our church, that we would be flexible so that we could see people come to Christ. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.